And I think that's something that we're really cognizant of at NAVA. Also, not just for, for junior folks, but also when we're talking about DNI, like it's one thing to hire someone and it's something else to create a work environment that it contributes to their growth uh, and their ability to flourish in that role. Hello, and welcome to Push and Play, a podcast where we discuss anything between design, culture, and social issues. I'm your host, Danielle Chen. In today's episode, we have a special guest, our friend of the pod, Hanya Maharam, back to our podcast. It has been a while since we're both on the podcast, and it's also been a while since I released the last episode of the podcast, which I'll explain as we move into our conversation in just a little bit. Today, we want to take some time to talk about a change that we have both gone through in the last two years, career change. We're going to talk about what made us decide to leave our previous job and join our current company and how our career has been going since we've started our new jobs. For those of you who don't know Henya, she is a wonderful UX designer and design researcher at NAVA, a public benefit cooperation working to radically improve how the government serves people. First of all, like I just want to um, share a little updates, um, life updates. Um, it has been a really long time since I released the last episode. Um, so much has happened. Um, first of all, I started a new job. Um, and then I moved from Philadelphia to New Jersey. And then two months after, um, I actually moved again from uh, one part of New Jersey to another part. And unfortunately, I had some really negative experiences at my last place in New Jersey. So I actually ended up breaking my lease and I moved into another part of New Jersey to a new apartment. And fortunately, I am feeling much happier and more calm at my new place. Uh, it's a much better living condition, and I'm much closer to my family now, which is uh, really amazing. But because of all these moving pieces, it was just quite a lot of changes. And on top of everything else that I was going through as part of my life transition, I decided to just take a pause on everything, but to take care of myself and to take care of all the transitions that I was experiencing. So, Henya, welcome back. How's it going? Thanks so much. It's great to be back, Danielle. It's been going good. Uh, there's been a lot going on. Uh, yeah, there has been a lot going on for both of us. Um, and I think today, I, I'm really excited to talk about this topic with you. Um, I think it's something that we, both of us have talked about for a long time. Um, and it's it's interesting because, you know, when you when I was thinking about switching jobs, the first person I went to was you because I, I think we had shared a lot of similar experiences um, when it when it comes yeah. to switches. So, yeah, I think today we wanted to kind of go through, you know, our journey on 
um, deciding on leaving the job to actually taking the offer, and then talk a little bit about how our current jobs have been going. So I guess we'll start with this question. Um, Hanya, do you mind sharing a little bit about you know how you um, or first of all, like when did you switch your job um, and kind of what triggered the decision? Yeah, um, the timing for my job switch was pretty incredible. I started uh, the job that I'm currently in um, in the middle of February 2020, which was about a month before everything shut down. Um, So interesting timing to (laughs) go through a big life change. Um, But it was it was pretty ironic because I was taking a remote uh, role. And I remember at the time, um, (laughs) a bunch of my friends and coworkers, uh, or or past coworkers, uh, as I was talking to them and sharing my news, asking me, uh, how I would do in a fully remote role, and are you sure you won't miss the office, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's funny because I feel like I just kind of got a head start and was able to mentally prepare myself for what everyone had to kind of move into eventually anyways. Um, so I uh, was at a consulting company for about two years prior to my current role. Um, I'm actually coming up to two years in this role. I think it's been about a year and nine months. Whoa, Um, really? Time flies. It's crazy how time flies. It it does not feel like it's been two years, but at the same time, it kind of feels like it's been 10 years. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I was at a pretty traditional consulting company prior to uh, moving into this role. Um, And I learned a lot in that role about client services, um, a variety of different uh, UX and research skills uh, because of kind of like the regular turnover of projects that is pretty typical consulting. I was able to get a lot of experience working with different clients and on different project types. Um, And and that was a a really great way for me to grow and learn. Um, And at the end of two years, um, it started to feel like I didn't have as much room to grow in the company. Um, and we'd been acquired by a larger consulting firm and there were a lot of cultural changes um, that came with that in terms of the work culture um, and things like that. And I felt like it was time for me to move on. It felt like the right time. I felt like I'd grown as much as I could in that role. Um, and I'd gained quite a bit of experience and I felt like I was ready to move on to something that felt a little bit more fulfilling to me in terms of the nature of the work. So that's how I ended up on my current uh, company, Nava. Our goal is to improve government services for everyone um, and make them more accessible for a larger group of people. Um, and we've been working on some really exciting projects and we've been growing a lot. Um, I feel like we're always hiring. <laughs> um, and, and it's been really great to see the company grow. And I love all my coworkers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most people you speak to at Nava, if you ask them what they enjoy most, probably the team of folks that they work with. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, the past, I guess, 
two to four years in a nutshell and, and those changes. Um, it's been an interesting journey. I think it's when, when it's the right time, you know, um, generally, um, you have a gut feeling like, okay, I'm ready yeah. to move on now. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, that gut feeling um, is something that just it comes so naturally. And I think I felt the same. Um, and really similarly, I actually also uh, stay at my previous job, which was also a consulting company for around two years. So you can see why I came to you first uh, when I was kind of like thinking about uh, making the decision of uh, leaving my past job. But um, I actually um, kind of reflecting on my path, um, I actually started thinking about making the leap a couple months, actually maybe six months before I actually uh, took the offer, which is kind of crazy to think about now. But I think I. I, at one point, I also felt like I was hitting a point um, where I felt like I was able to grow, at least to grow the kind of skill sets or be also be around the people that I want to be with um, in order to support me for my growth professionally and personally. Um, and so six months before I left, um, I started just talking to people and uh, people from different companies and also people who had uh, recently made uh, career changes and including you. And I think I started to think about, or I actually started applying three months prior to me leaving my job, my last job. Um, but for me, I think one thing that a lot of people don't have to consider, but to me, it's a really big factor, which is my visa security. You know, my uh, my last job actually did help me secure my work visa, my H-1B work visa, which I'm really thankful for because um, it, it was a pretty big, big deal for me uh, to have the sense of security that I have now. Um, and at the time, they actually also started uh, the great card process for me, which was also a really big deal. But I started to think, I asked myself, um, do I really see myself, uh, you know, staying with the same company for uh, say another five years because the green card process for any uh, for for Chinese citizens are uh, usually taking much longer compared to people from other countries, and uh, for me, I I I said no to myself because I realized that you know as much as I would like to have that uh, stronger sense of security, um, I don't want my professional and personal growth to be tied to my visa status or my, my visa security. Uh, so yeah, I actually was really proud of myself for actually, you know, making the leap um, and like, or just like even deciding on uh, changing my job. So um, yeah, I think a couple of things that I, I personally had experience um, have kind of triggered my decision, uh, which I wanted to share a little bit about on this episode, I think um, one thing, a couple of things that I felt that were kind of missing from my previous jobs um, include, you know, the lack of cultural awareness. Um, I, I think, uh, unfortunately, it's kind of like common thing in a lot of the creative uh, studios or like a lot of um, agencies, because right now, a lot of the design agencies are still 
dominated by uh, white folks, um, which makes it really hard for people to be able to raise um, awareness on things that are happening around the world and how these things could impact the individual employees who might mm-hmm. be coming from different backgrounds. And I know, Henya, we have exchanged quite a lot of conversations on that. And I was wondering if, if you could also speak to this a little bit. I know that you've also felt that there were certain, there were moments where you felt that you weren't understood or like people weren't able to uh, understand why you weren't able to focus 100% at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I definitely resonate with a lot of what you said. Um, I found that also like in consulting more broadly, not just in creative spaces, um, there's still kind of a lack of diversity. And even when um, you might consider the studio to be culturally diverse, leadership is still very much lacking in that department. Um, So maybe individual contributors have um, come from a variety of different cultural backgrounds, but the people in leadership who are making decisions and setting policy um, are often unaware uh, unless they make a very intentional decision to make themselves aware, which in my experience is kind of rare. Um, Yeah, I I think a lot of other people who have experiences in the consulting world can also relate to some of what I'm about to share, but I definitely felt a pressure to kind of leave as much of my personal and cultural identity at the door as possible, especially in uh, client situations, Um, which, you know, I'm not like entering a client meeting and and starting any sort of uh, religious or political conversations, but there's a lot about who I am as a woman of color, as a, a female woman of color and a Muslim woman who's visibly wearing hijab um, that, you know, I carry with me everywhere I go. And that includes um, certain work um, interactions. Um, and I found that often I was being, I, I was carrying a lot of the weight on my own. So um, there were, I mean, just throughout the Trump area era, there was a, a lot that affected me personally differently than um, some of my white coworkers. Um, but because there was that lack of cultural awareness for a lot of people, um, even if it wasn't, you know, intentional ignorance, um, it's still really difficult to sit at work in the office and pretend like nothing's wrong and try and focus on, um, you know, writing up a a deck of findings and recommendations when the news has you absolutely devastated. I think the example that I can think of is when um, the Christchurch uh, shootings happened in New Zealand, uh, where someone, um, an extremist, basically shot up um, some mosques during Friday prayer. where you know the entire community was gathered. Uh, I remember being at work when I heard about the news. I remember sitting at work very much shell-shocked, very much terrified, and just you know, kind of grieving and realizing that none of my coworkers had any idea what, what had happened. None of my coworkers had any idea that 
um, it was affecting me in the way that it did. But I definitely didn't feel empowered by um, the company's leave policies at the time to say, like, I cannot be working today. My brain is not here. I need to take the day. And that was hard. I mean, I think all of us have gone through <laughs> a number of different similar experiences over the past few years uh there's just so much happening in the world and I think for a lot of us it affects each of us differently um but being in a workplace where at the very least if no one else knows what's happening you feel comfortable enough and empowered enough to say this is happening and it's affecting me in this way and I need to take time and then you know kind of on the higher end of the spectrum, having coworkers who are also aware of the events and things that might be impacting you and having someone reach out to say, hey, are you okay? Do you need to take time? There's like somewhere in the middle, um, I think between, between those two options. But um, at the time, I definitely felt kind of like an isolated island in my workplace. Um, and that is one of the reasons why I wanted to switch workplaces. And I, I know from conversations with you as well that you've had a lot of similar experiences where you felt like, how is no one feeling all right. of the feelings that I'm going through watching this news? Mm-hmm. Why is no one talking about this? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I, I think I resonated with a lot what you just said. Uh, I mean, everything you just said, but a, a couple of things that really stood out to me was, you know, the two options that you were mentioning. I, I think this kind of like responsibilities um, really shouldn't be falling onto an individual. Uh, it's not fair and it's a lot to carry on um, because, you know, I, I think if there's no like culture built in for you to feel safe. You know, there's, if there's no psychological safety built into your work culture, then yeah, of course you're not going to feel comfortable or uh, safe for speaking up by just saying that, Hey, like I need to take some time off. And I, I think sometimes I, I felt, well, at, at my previous uh, jobs, I, I felt, um, kind of this urge to share why I'm taking the time off but at the same time I don't know if I should um by kind of causing a scene or you know that that kind of things like it puts pressure on you to be the one educating everyone exactly. else and when you're in that space like you don't have the headspace or the energy <laughs> exactly. to like explain all the levels of what you're feeling to someone with no context. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, um, you know, I love the two options that you mentioned. I mean, I, I think there needs to be like a middle ground in between. Um, I also feel that um, a lot more companies have tried to incorporate um, like DEI efforts or practices into work. Um, well, first of all, I don't know if most of them are working because I, I think um, if we really want to see real changes on, you know, raising the cultural awareness, like we were just talking about, um, I think a also, again, shouldn't be falling onto one individual, whether that person is in charge of the DEI of the company or not. Um, I yeah. think we need to rather encourage a culture or a type of um, environment where everyone will feel comfortable and also while everyone will be proactively paying attention to the news and also practically thinking about 
oh, okay, my coworker XYZ might be experiencing this. How can we support them? In what way? You know, um, and. So that's just something that I've been thinking about a lot、um, since I've left my last job, and you know some of the things that you know you were asking me about some of the experiences that I've had、um, when it comes to like me feeling about the lack of、um, cultural awareness. I do want to share a story that、um, happened to me at my previous job that had me start to think about. Um, or had me start to notice the、uh, the lack of cultural awareness that we had、um, at work. I, I I do want to say that you know this is not about the individual that、uh, did the thing that I'm about to share, but more about like the behavior. So,、um, you know, last year was extremely hard for me.、Um, you know, as someone who came from China, and well, during this global pandemic that、uh, where everyone was trying to point fingers to、uh, to the Chinese,、um, so I was already feeling really discriminated against,、um, or you know, I'm I was internalizing a lot of the. The, the shame、um, and like the stereotyping and the discrimination that I was seeing online,、um, but I I didn't really think that it was actually gonna be happening at work.、Um, but one thing that happened、um, just after the lockdown happened、um, was that one of my、uh, coworkers. They、uh, shared a playlist on Spotify,、um, and it was a playlist. The name of the songs are all associated with COVID. And I just remember seeing that playlist、um, and saw that this one song、um, of the playlist was named "Made in China." And I just remember, wow! I could not believe what I was seeing. And the fact that so many people reacted a laughing emoji to that playlist—I mean, I don't think like the person—I mean, I don't want to make excuses for that person. But at the same time, like, I mean, first of all, they didn't create the playlist,、uh, and they might have not like actually read through all the names of the songs. But that just shows the kind of like lack of awareness on how this playlist could affect different people in the room. Who have come from different backgrounds, and then I also want to、mm-hmm. highlight another fact that even though you might not have any coworkers who are coming from China or who are Chinese, but they might have family member or close friends who are Chinese or who are from China or who are Chinese American. I think aside from knowing someone, I think it's just kind of disrespectful. Right. Period. Yeah. Yeah. It. It totally. I. I agree. I think. Um, I mean, it took me a really long time to feel comfortable or to had the to have the courage to speak up about this. I mean, I didn't feel comfortable speaking to the individual who actually posted the playlist, but I shared it with、uh, someone else in in our、uh, studio. And the thing is, like, they apologized on behalf of that person who posted this playlist, but. It was really difficult for for me to like. I still don't have a closure to that incident because I don't know how they addressed it. If they talked to the individual, or you know, you know, I I think for me, I would have hoped to see something. 
coming from the leadership team, um, you know, addressing this publicly, not addressing like that incident particularly, but just sharing that, you know, people might be experiencing different level of discrimination during this pandemic. And here's how we can do to avoid them at work and outside of work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think for me, you know, I, I'm working with my therapist uh, the last few sessions just to talk through how I might be able to find some closure to some of the things that's happened to me um, in the past. I mean, not that was just one of the few incidents that I've experienced, but that w- those were enough for me to feel, feel traumatized um, and also feel that I feel the need to, you know, find a place, find an environment that I would personally feel more supported when these things happen. And so, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's important to know that, like, it's hard to expect a company, like, uh, institutional level to account for all of the different cultural sensitivities, you might say. But, I don't think it's too much to ask for your coworkers to uh, be allies. Um, and I'm really sorry you had to go through that. And I'm sorry that, um, you know, there wasn't anyone else who was able to, to respond to this person and say, hey, I don't think this is appropriate. I'm not sure if you looked at the list in this playlist, but maybe we should take this down. Um, because that that puts the burden on you, um, and that's not right. We've definitely had a lot of conversations at NAVA about the role of um, ERGs w- within like uh, DNI at a company, and uh, how that emotional energy should be compensated for. Because I think um, very often it's the group that's affected that's expected to do the work Um, because people will say like, well, I don't know, um, you know, what's important to you or what's sensitive culturally or what have you, Um, but putting the burden on them and and then also that time and energy not being compensated for, I think is not right. And I think there's a lot of companies who are trying to find kind of this balance of how do we create an environment that's um, welcoming and accepting and safe for everyone and prioritize that as part of our work culture um, and also make sure that uh, employees of color who are investing time and energy in improving uh, that part of the work culture are acknowledged and compensated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um- just before we move on, I, I know you mentioned about like a terminology that I, I feel some people might not be super familiar with, ERG. Do you mind elaborating on that uh, terminology? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> an ERG usually stands for an employee research uh, resource group, sorry. <clears throat> um, and they're usually centered as around a certain cultural or ethnic identity. Um, so, um, they can be, a uh, people of color group or uh, a black group or Latina or Latinx group. Um, maybe they're centered around a religious identity, like Muslims. Um, and usually an ERG is kind of like a formalized group, 
Um, and so every community does this differently, but there's, you know, some sort of uh, charter or set of rules that governs mm-hmm. their interactions. And uh, they might have like a budget for certain social activities mm-hmm. um, and they get kind of a voice in, I mean, obviously differs from company company. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's more of just a social group for people to gather with, you know, people's like experiences and um, backgrounds. And sometimes it, it can also be used as a way for that group to have a voice in decision-making and access to leadership and networking. As far as I know, that is my experience of an ERG. Mm. It might differ from company to company. Yeah. Um, yes. So, yeah. So for, for us at HUGE, we have um, a, a few different affinity groups, which I think is similar to the uh, employee resource groups that you have at NAVA. Uh, so we have one for... Um, it's called RBG, which is for people who identify with the African diaspora and allies. We have one for women and women identifying individuals. Uh, we have one for L- the LGBTQ plus community, one for parents, immigrants, and Asian culture collective. Um, and I have to say that just knowing that these groups exist at HUGE made me so happy. Because I personally truly believe that, you know, when we want to create, if we want to create a welcoming environment where everyone can feel integrated and welcomed, then I think we we really need to hire people coming from diverse backgrounds. Because when everyone is different, then nobody will feel so different from one another. I know it sounds kind of mutually exclusive or quite conflicting but I think when you see the difference within an organization when you see that everyone is able to bring their full self into this organization then you wouldn't feel the need to have to hide yourself like you you were saying and yeah like that you have to leave part of your identity at the door which is how I felt at a lot of places i mean not just like at jobs but sometimes you know at schools i you, you know oh, we went to the same, yeah we went to the same <laughs> in college and i think you know i've been talking a lot about my 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 journey in design and a big part of my journey was trying to fight against this identity crisis that i had the need to assimilate um, to this mainstream American culture. Um, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I think it's it's really important to have like these groups and knowing that there are people who are advocating for you and their allies who are standing beside you. Um, and yeah, in a lot of ways, you know, I think the first day when I joined HUGE, I immediately felt not so alone. And that's just an incredible feeling. Um, I think we, we also have to to point out that like you can't underestimate the impact that that has on someone's work like I, I can see how some people might say like how is this related to like your job but if you're if you don't feel comfortable if your um, head is in a different space if if you're stressed like that all affects your ability to do good work and to put your best work forward Mm -hmm. um 
And I, I, in my experience, the discussion of, of this like within a workplace is, is kind of recent. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I feel like it's, it's a relatively recent conversation where people say if someone is not fully present because their overall work environment doesn't allow them to be, um, that there's like a business impact there from my experience is relatively new for people to see the business value of um, employees being comfortable in the workplace and being able to be fully present and having that kind of support network. Um, I think it might be, uh, I mean, I'm sure every workplace is different. It might be a result of everything that everyone has gone through in the past 18 months um, because of COVID and the extra pressures that that has put on people. Uh, but I think it's, it's really valuable to acknowledge that like if someone has um, things that are, are weighing on them or that are detracting from their work experience, it makes it difficult for them to put their best work forward. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. That's such a, a important point. You know, I think a lot of people really don't realize um, like the business value of the uh, diversity and inclusion at work. You know, we talk about DEI so much and um, I think we're just getting started, to be honest. Like I know there is such a big uh, trend where like everyone's talking about it uh, nowadays. Companies are all hiring uh, like a director for DEI at their um, insider company. But the thing is, you know, I, I haven't really seen any reports or maybe I just haven't really looked um, hard enough. But, you know, we we we, recently we had this conversation, uh, which is not related to DEI, but but I'll, well, I'll get to the point I'm trying to make. Uh, we were talking about, you know, the value of uh, having a design system uh, or like incorporating design system into each project that we're working on. Um, maybe not each project, but like when we see fit and when we see there's value in there. And there's been a lot of reports recently uh, to show, you know, the business value of incorporating a design system. Um, into our work, even if the client didn't ask for it. And, you know, the reason why I thought of this was because I think DEI is kind of similar to the design system. It's a framework for us to refer to. Um, and I think DEI is something that shouldn't be a passion project. It shouldn't be just something that people are starting to talk about just because last year was rough and we are uh, now seeing more people protesting for different causes, especially for Black Lives Matter. It's, it should always be an integral part of our work and life, period. Like, you can't be talking about DNI and not actually, like, implementing this kind of practice into your work. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be great if uh, we were able to push for uh, better inclusivity in workplaces just because of the impact that it has on the people but not every company works that way. And unfortunately, when you live in a capitalist society, sometimes <laughs> the push that you need is, hey, there's a, a change in your, your profit uh, in your bottom line if your employees are able to work better because the environment is more conducive to that. Um, 
So I, I'm glad that at least in that regard, um, more and more companies are realizing the importance of this work. Um, and I hope we get to a point where it's not a discussion that we're having, it's just kind of a given. I think that one of the, the biggest things that speaks to the value of it is that it was a really big reason why both of us left our job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the very least, like if people are not, don't feel like they're working in a, a good environment or the pressure of carrying that on their own is too much in addition to their workload, mm-hmm. you're going to lose them. Right. Um, yeah. I think one thing I want to quickly follow up on something that you mentioned earlier, which is related to what you were just saying about like why people are leaving their jobs. I think a lot of people actually uh, like during the pandemic actually um, decided to leave their jobs. And I think um, I've heard many stories, but I I've I've seen a pattern where people were saying that they didn't feel as fulfilled when they were at their previous job. And I think that was another common factor um, between the two of us um, as a reason why we left our previous job. So so I was wondering if you don't mind elaborating a little bit more on that factor, like why you didn't feel as fulfilled and um, how you're feeling now at at your current job. Um, Because I think that can also give some people who are thinking about, you know, switching jobs some um, kind of references or like help them evaluate when they're thinking about, you know, potentially switching jobs? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I think if you, if you listen to one of our earlier episodes where we talked a little bit more about our career paths, I'd always been interested in kind of like specific design space, that um, it's a relatively like in the grand scheme of things, relatively new space. Um, There aren't too many private companies uh, that are doing this work. And I had a few contract positions coming out of school that were loosely related. Um, And I knew that this is kind of where I wanted to end up eventually. But because it was kind of a, a new field, there weren't too many opportunities for junior designers. Um, and I knew that I needed to, to gain skills and experience before I would feel comfortable, um, leading any work, um, in in this realm. Um, so that was one of the reasons why I ended up in consulting. Um, I knew when I took that job that it wasn't going to be a permanent thing. Um, I didn't have the specific timeline in mind when I took the job, um, but I definitely felt like the, the types of projects that we were taking on were not ones that were really valuable, fulfilling to me. Um, generally, large corporations, uh, a lot of money, often um, our recommendations wouldn't be implemented and they'd be coming back to us later down the line for, for similar, if not the same problems. Um, And it just, I think I felt like my, the value of my time and skills were a little wasted in that space. I felt like for the same amount of money that I was being paid to do that work there, I could be doing a lot more and much more meaningful work in other spaces. Um, And that was one of the main reasons why I ended up at NAVA. Um, 
I've had my eye on NOVA for a while um, because I was I had a, an existing interest in this book design space, but NOVA is a relatively young company. And, and so there had to be kind of the right time and opportunity for me to join the team. And I guess the, the timelines just matched up <laughs> at some point um, where, you know, Nava had been uh, winning new contracts and growing new teams. Um, and they were able to take on folks who were a little bit more junior in their careers and um, provide them with the environment that they needed to grow. So that's the context in which I joined Nava. The work that we do, <clears throat> we partner with government agencies um, on a federal and state level to do a lot of work improving the digital experience of government services. So sometimes it's kind of like more back end work. Um, and a lot of times it's very much like the user facing experience. So what it's like to apply for unemployment or leave, uh, or we do work with a veterans affairs office, etc. All of those projects are, are, you know, part of the social safety net, if you will. I feel like, especially during COVID, there's been a lot of pressure on that social safety net. Um, and ironically, that's that's brought us more work, actually. Um, but I would say that definitely I'm very grateful that I'm doing the work I'm doing now at this particular moment in time, and especially over the past few months. I mean, the, <laughs> the past 18 months have been difficult for everyone. Um, and I think that a lot of people have felt kind of this weird moment where you're like, the world feels like it's ending. And here I am just sitting at a computer sending emails. Um, I think a lot of people could probably relate to that feeling. And I think knowing that the work that I'm getting up to do at my computer every day is actually impacting the quality of life. Um, for a lot of people was really reassuring that mm-hmm. um, even though I am coming from a place of privilege and I, you know, have job security and stability and I'm able to take a mental health day when I need it, there are people who are not in the same position. Um, and instead of feeling kind of existential dread, dread <laughs> about that, um, I'm reassured that you know, the, the work that I'm doing is, is pushing my needle in some way um, until unless there's kind of more drastic change mm-hmm. on a policy level uh, the work that I was doing will still be necessary yeah I I absolutely love that you know I think it makes such a big difference right like when you I mean the thing is like we spent a third of our time sitting in front of our computer. I mean, yeah, not just sitting in front of our computer, obviously we're doing the work, but it's such a big chunk of our time. Um, and if you think about it, like it is so important when you know this amount of time there is you're spending every day is going to be bringing some meaningful changes. We're creating some positive impact to, to the world. I mean, I I'm speaking from like also my current experience, like the last four months, I can't tell you how excited I always have been just getting up, knowing that I'm going to be working on something that can impact billions of people's lives. So I'm currently working on, uh, I've been working on some different tracks for Google. Um, and 
like, you know, the amount of people who will be impacted by the kind of changes that we're making on Google's products is a lot. I think it, it, it makes a really big difference when you know that, you know, the work yeah. that you're doing um, is actually going to change people's lives in a positive way. So one other thing I kind of want to touch upon is something that you mentioned about uh, how Nava is curating or is creating this environment where they are welcoming uh, junior talent. And I think that's like, I mean, obviously it's a topic for another time, but one thing I want to just quickly talk about is, you know, I think this is an, a topic that we're also talking a lot about at Huge because we're, we have a lot of um, talent or like we have a lot of individual contributors from senior to uh, senior and above, but we don't have enough talent who are more at a junior level or who are coming in uh, with not so much experience. We are proactively creating uh, more space and more opportunities for people who, I mean, not only have uh, not so much experience, but also for people who might want to break into the UX industry. And one thing I'm really, really proud of, uh, one of the many things I am really proud of uh, being a huge employee is that we have a an XT school. Um, and every summer we open up the application process and we encourage people to apply to the XC school. It doesn't matter what backgrounds you're coming from. It doesn't matter if you have any experience in design whatsoever. If you apply uh, with your reasoning of wanting to break into the XC industry, we will give you the chance. And then by the end of the, uh, I think 12 weeks of uh, courses, they will get a chance to either intern at Huge or get an, a, a full-time opportunity to work at Huge, which is incredible. And we're- That is really awesome. Yeah, and we're usually offering these opportunities for people uh, from the underrepresented groups who may not have the same amount of or same kind of opportunities um, to break into a creative industry. So yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if you can share a little bit about, you know, your experience at Nava at a as, as someone who is kind of starting from a junior level, um, I, I know you have shared with me quite a lot about, you know, the amount of support and like how your your mentor and your, your manager is kind of helping you navigate through your career trajectory. So I was wondering if, if you can share a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that was a little bit different because we are such a young company um, and we are also in the realm of government contracting and, and the pre- procurement process is very complicated. Um, so in a really large way, our ability to hire more junior folks is tied to the contracts we win um, and our ability to set up teams that would support them. Um, so I wish I could share more details about the specific contract that I'm on, but I don't think we're allowed to talk about it publicly just yet. Um, but the, the contract that I am on is one of the, the larger ones at Nava. Um, and we knew that when we won the contract, um, which was prior to when I was hired. Um, and so the company knew that they were going to be building out a large team and have the capacity to have, you know, um, design managers and design leads um, on the team that would be able to kind of provide the support and mentorship that um, someone at my point in their career might need. 
um, at the time. And I think that's something that we're really cognizant of at NAVA. Also, not just for, for junior folks, but also when we're talking about DNI, like it's one thing to hire someone and it's something else to ha- create a work environment that it contributes to their growth uh, and their ability to flourish in that role. So that's something that we definitely keep in mind. Um, and it, it makes it a little bit difficult to necessarily set up a lot of junior roles, but one of the programs that we have set up, which I guess is kind of similar to the one that you mentioned is an apprenticeship program. Um, So we do have an apprenticeship program that's uh, on an annual basis. Um, And we specifically set that up to accommodate people who are either more junior in their careers or making career switches uh, or maybe coming from backgrounds where, you know, they learned a technical skill um, but don't have like the years of experience that might allow them to traditionally get their foot in the door. So the apprenticeship program allows them to do the work with the guidance of a team um, and learn on the job. And then at the end of their apprenticeship, um, there's the opportunity usually, depending on performance, um, there's the opportunity to continue into a full-time role. And I believe all of our apprentices so far have actually ended up being, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm pretty sure all of our apprentices have ended up in full-time roles at NAVA and they've all been really great team team members and their diverse backgrounds have helped a lot in uh, gaining additional context for the work in a lot of cases. So it is difficult, but it's something that um, we're thinking about, especially also as the company grows. Um, we're talking about uh, manager training and uh, documentation, Um, that people might need, especially within the civic design space, there's kind of like a specific language that a lot of people seem that you might know um, and resources that you might be aware of, which if someone's, you know, coming from a different career or just kind of getting started, they might not have that context because this kind of subsection of the industry, there is a lot of like well, what did USDS do and what did the Ontario Digital Service do and what did UK.gov do and building off of those patterns. And that's one of the things that we've talked about is, you know, that we can't assume that people have that context for the work. Um, That doesn't mean that they're any less fit for the role, but it's something that we need to keep in mind in terms of setting them up to succeed. I think we we touched upon so many important topics so far, um, and I think these are all really really great things for people to hear, especially for folks who are currently uh, looking for a new opportunity or are thinking about switching to a new job. Um, I think one thing I just want to quickly point out is that um, you shouldn't feel guilty 
about switching jobs. It's something that I have felt、uh, when I was making the decision,、um, because obviously, like I, I am grateful for my previous opportunity, and I'm, and regardless of you know some of the things that have happened, I think I was still glad that I had the opportunity to break into the UX industry from product design through my last opportunity, and also、uh, receiving the support that I had from my previous colleagues on various issues.、Um, But I think you know sometimes you can always be looking for more things. You can always be looking for a, a an environment that will make you feel more supported. I just want to let you all know that it's okay to switch jobs, especially when you're early in your career. Like I think people might say to say different things to you. Like people could say like when you're early in your career, try to stick with one job and then like really. Like stuck it out, but I say like really trust your gut. Like sometimes you know when it's time to experience something new and also to、uh, look for new opportunities for you to grow. I'm curious to hear if you have any pieces、uh, of advice for anyone out there who is either looking for a job or who are looking to、uh, switch jobs. I think from my experience, what I would say is that. Your experience during your interview and onboarding process tells you a lot about what your experience will be at the company itself.、Um, and so, if during the interview experience or, or like as you're applying, there's like there are certain flags that、uh, you should be looking out for in terms of responsiveness, in terms of accommodation, etc. Um, that will tell you a lot about what you can expect if you were to accept the role moving forward.、Um, I would also say that, to your point about guilt, ultimately this is your career, and like you're the one who's going to have to live every day <laughs> working that job.、Um, so as much as you might have maybe affection for your former coworkers, they're not the ones who are going to be. Doing work for you in the future, so you have to make the decision that's best for you. I've been really lucky in all of my roles that、um, my previous managers and coworkers have been really supportive of my decision to move on. On、uh, especially like when I was switching from my consulting job to my current job at Nava, my manager was.、Um, My former manager was very supportive of me doing what was best for me. As much as she was sad to see me go, and I was sad to part with some of the team members that I'd really bonded with,、um, we all knew that you know I had to do what felt right for me,、um, and they could see as well that this was the best decision for me. So I think, obviously, not everyone has such a positive experience with their coworkers, but. You know, you kind of just have to look out for yourself in in this kind of situation. I would also say, make sure you talk to other people who work at the company、uh, and get an idea of like what their day to day is. If you can find someone who is from kind of the same、um, ethnic or cultural group as you who works there, try to、um, get some time to talk to them about what their experience specifically.、Um, Maybe as a woman or a woman of color, or however you identify, what their experience at that company has been. Because I think, as we all know at this point,、um, those factors、uh, have a really big impact 
in your day-to-day and the uh, cognitive and emotional load that you have to carry uh, in addition to your workload. Um, yeah, I think those, those would be my top pieces of advice. So, so I think one thing you mentioned about, you know, talking to people who either share similar backgrounds with you, um, like during or after the interview, or before you accept the offer. I think that's super important. Um, I think something that I wish that I had done more of in my question list when I was interviewing was huge. I wanted to ask, you know, how they're approaching their DEI um, within a company. But when it came to that question, or when it came to the opportunity for me to ask some questions, I actually didn't ask the question in the end, because it's not a question that a lot of people will feel comfortable asking. Um, and, you know, myself included, as much as I feel like I, um, I should have asked. Um, but I think there are alternatives, right? There are different ways for you to investigate into that um, like that factor on how a company is approaching their DNI effort. I think one thing, I actually think that talking to someone uh, from a different background compared to the uh, the majority uh, group is actually a really nice way to gauge like how their experience has been like at this company and how they feel um, they can be supported on different issues, especially when it's associated with their identity yeah I definitely uh understand how it might be difficult to to bring that question up I have definitely felt that way in the past um I think as much as it is difficult we need to get comfortable asking it more frequently because I think that's one of the ways that companies will realize how important it really is to folks um and I feel like (laughs) over the past two years I've I've kind of forgotten how difficult it can be to talk about that um, because it is kind of like part of, it's baked into Nava's interview process. Like we have a whole like mission and values uh, section of the on-site interview um, because from Nava as a company's perspective, having like that mission fit and alignment is important to them. And so I think I've, I've just forgotten that like, if the company doesn't bring it up, it can be really, really hard <laughs> for the individual too. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, I mean, just because it's been so long since that interview was huge, was which uh, which was actually back in March. Um, they, I, I think part of the reason why I didn't bring it up was also because um, like when I was talking with the recruiter, um, without me bringing anything up uh, in regarding to DNI, um, she was telling me, you know, how earlier this year during the uh, Atlanta massacre, um, how the company's CEO or like people in the leadership uh, roles at Huge talked about how this could impact people um, at Huge who are from the API community or have loved ones or friends from the API community. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and also uh, earlier this year during the uh, the riot at the Capitol, how the CEO of, of Huge have announced that you know that everyone can take the, the rest of the day off um, in order to process everything. I, I think that really showed um, you know kind of the values that Huge has and how we are or how the leadership is managing crisis like this. 
So I, I think like looking back, I do think maybe part of the reason why I didn't bring it up was also because I kind of heard uh, or I kind of sensed that um, through my interview. So yeah, I definitely agree. I think these are all the really important things to look out for. Um, and I, I do encourage people like as much as I felt uncomfortable asking this question i think there are different ways for you to gauge that um and i think it's really important especially if you're a person of color you know it's it's really really important for you to know that you are going to be in a place where you can be supported on many ways um as an individual and as also um things for things that are associated with your identity so that, that's what I would say uh, for people who are looking for a job right now or who are looking to uh, change it up a little bit. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think the, the last thing I would add is just that uh, a reminder to be gracious with yourself as you're going through this transition because it is a very big change. Um, and it might not feel like it if you're sitting at the same computer at the same desk <laughs> at home, um, but it, it is a very big life change and it takes a lot of uh, unlearning old habits sometimes, depending on what your previous work experiences were like and, and what your new workplace, how it differs. Um, so just be gracious with yourself as, as you're starting a new role takes a lot of energy and um, mental space to you know learn all of this new information and onboard to new work and get to know new people so if you're feeling exhausted that is normal (laughs) Um, yeah just give yourself space to to go through that process and and know that it, it might not be like a linear journey um, yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, it, it's a really big change. Um, and I think for both of us, our path to get to where we are today was not linear at all. So yeah, definitely be kind to yourself, pace it out, but also believe in yourself. You will find the opportunity that you love. And when you get there, you will feel happier than ever. So I'm excited for everyone out there who is currently looking for a new role or a new opportunity. Just know that it will take time and uh, be kind to yourself. Well, thank you so much, Hanya, for this wonderful conversation. I always enjoy talking to you and I always learn a lot from you. And I hope our audience have resonated with um, the stories that we've shared on this episode and a lot of the pieces of advice that we have shared as well. Yeah, it's been an honor to be back on the podcast. uh, And I would love talking to you as well. Um, Definitely learned from your experiences and hopefully uh, the conversation that we have is one that a lot of other people can, can relate to and learn from as well.